Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. One of our longtime listeners asked a couple of questions that seem likely on the minds of quite a few people, and particularly quite a few investors. First of all, what's going on with the cryptocurrencies, particularly Bitcoin? Secondly, where do I think we are in the stock and bond market? In other words, what's next? Today, I'll share my views with the normal caveat that I'm neither an oracle nor a stock or bond broker. Hopefully, you'll find these perspectives helpful for sorting out your investment alternatives and risks. So here goes. A beginning point of reference goes back 100 years. And since there's really no one left from that generation still alive, it's quite clear that we have only our analyses, which relate to the roaring 20s of the 1920s. I do strongly believe that those who don't at least consider history may be doomed to repeat it. After all, we've experienced over 40 significant recessions, panics, and depressions since 1776, so it's a fair question. Do we learn and remember from past events, or do we just decide to always play the ball where it lies? I like to think there is at least an in-between of reviewing similar instances and finding some lessons that we can learn and apply. In the 1920s, like today, the market has been training investors to believe there really is no long-term risk to our financial markets. In fact, it's training us to believe or accept every market drop is followed by an even stronger V-shaped recovery, which reinforces the commonly held belief that the Federal Reserve has our back. We are always heading towards a long-term bear market, despite feelings to the contrary. We have definitely learned there are business cycles, economic cycles, and real estate cycles, as well as interest rate cycles and political cycles. Many books, articles, and yes, even Federal Reserve produced videos attest to this. The big question to me is, are we approaching a point in history where that very long-term bull market finally ends this particular cycle? By the way, it always does end, and it always does recover, albeit it takes oftentimes 10 to 20 years to recover. In 1918, the Spanish flu was spreading around the globe and affected 20 to 40 percent of the world's population. In fact, it claimed the lives of over 50 million people globally. Yeah, think about that, 50 million. The U.S. alone in the 1918 Spanish flu lost approximately 675,000 lives to the Spanish flu. As it abated, the U.S. then moved into the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties refers to the decade of the 1920s, which was a period of celebratory economic prosperity that is famously celebrated through the 1920s. During this period, we saw tremendous technological advances, including the use of automobiles, telephones, movies, radio, aviation, and electronic appliances. So we have a lot of enhancements in these areas now, but can you imagine for the first time actually participating in the rollout of these new technologies? Amazing, right? It was also a time where the U.S. experienced a stock market boom. In fact, the stock market quadrupled from 1920 until 1929. As we were approaching 1929 as a country, many were quite certain that the United States entered a new paradigm of economic prosperity. 
If this doesn't sound familiar to you, it should. I'll summarize what our financial leaders back in the 1920s said about our markets then, and you can almost imagine how these same comments could be made today. For those who have studied stock market history, you know that those in the know were absolutely certain about the impossibility of a market crash right before the market did crash and led us into the Great Depression. And I'll just share a few of the examples. John Maynard Keynes, in 1927, two years before the stock market crash, quote, we will not have any more crashes in our time. Another quote, not John Maynard Keynes, another quote, stock prices have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. I do not feel there will soon, if ever, be a 50 to 60% break from present levels. I expect to see the stock market a good deal higher within a few months. That was said on October 17, 1929, just a few weeks before the Great Crash, by Dr. Irving Fisher, professor of economics at Yale University. At the time, he was one of the leading U.S. economists. Another quote, I cannot help but raise a dissenting voice to statements that we are living in a fool's paradise and that prosperity in this country must necessarily diminish and recede in the near future. And that was a quote from E.H. Simmons, president of the New York Stock Exchange, January 12, 1928. Finally, the one I'll share is, quote, there will be no interruption of our permanent prosperity, unquote. That was Myron Forbes, president of Pierce Aero Motor Car Company, January 12, 1928. Same day as the president of the New York Stock Exchange made his quote. By the way, has anyone heard of the Pierce Aero Motor Car Company? You have? You have not? Well, that is because they went bankrupt during the Great Depression. But you can see some of those wonderful classics at the Peterson Auto Museum in Los Angeles. And that's about all that's left from this well-known automaker about 100 years ago. While the stock market struck its bottom within two years of the 1929 market crash, the Great Depression lasted almost a full decade. By the way, how many people know that a greater depression took place in the late 1800s and lasted twice that long. Yes, about 20 years. This longer depression in the late 1800s was blamed on manufacturing overcapacity, resulting in lower and lower competitive prices globally across the product spectrum. Is anyone seeing any eerie similarities to our times today? Yes, I know. Every recession and depression has unique triggers, but consider that many have similar impacts on our businesses and, importantly, our workforce. We are now approaching a year and a half after the onset of the COVID pandemic, and we have also seen one of the strongest rallies in stock market history, with the stock market almost doubling within a year's time, with much higher expected numbers to be seen by virtually all investment advisors and newsletter writers. Oh, don't worry, I'm getting to the crypto question. By the way, during the stock market almost 100 years ago, the U.S. went through the Spanish flu, as I mentioned, and the market soared fourfold during the 1920s. That is, before the stock market crash, which occurred at lightning speed. Does it seem that stocks drop faster than they go up when they do enter the down cycle? More recently, since we began rallying from the March 2009 lows and the conclusion of our last financial debacle, that is the 0809 Great Recession, many have once again become quite confident in our government's ability, along with the Fed, to guide our financial future and prevent any prolonged financial pain. 
In fact, if you ask the average investor, in my view, they will tell you that the chances of another Great Depression are extremely unlikely. These comments to me also come in cycles. If everyone expects a problem, will it happen? Or conversely, if hardly anyone expects a problem, will it happen? You can be the judge. Here are some of the types of comments we all too often hear today. Quote, stonks only go up. If the Fed is destroying price discovery and has guaranteed to backstop every crash, stonks only go up, baby. I'll let you Google stonks, S-T-O-N-K-S, but to me, this mem began usage about four years ago. Quote, the market will never fall in a serious in charge. The government and the Federal Reserve just won't allow it, unquote. Another quote, the S&P 500 is simply a matter of national security now. Pensions, sovereign wealth funds, everyone is too invested that any pullback will be a matter of national security. In the event of a pullback, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury will issue additional stimulus to individuals in the form of transfer payments and then supplement any drop in corporate earnings via transfer payments to corporations under the guise of economic stability grants. Finally, a quote, endless quantitative easing, dollar debasement, and hyperinflation are all supportive of stock markets, real estate, and other bubbly assets, unquote. I'm not sure that makes me feel any better, but I'll stop here. You get the idea, and I'm sure you've heard equivalent statements often in the past few years. Yet when we reach the top of the market cycle, most will likely disagree that the top has been reached and refuse to believe this can ever occur. This is simply the way markets work. Always have, always will. In a repeat of history almost 90 years ago after the 1929 crash, Janet Yellen, recently, our former Fed chairman and current Secretary of the Treasury, pronounced that the banking system is, quote, very much stronger, unquote, due to Fed supervision and higher capital levels. She then followed that up with what I believe will be a history-making statement akin to those quoted from the generations past. Yellen predicted that because of the measures the Fed has taken, another financial crisis is now, quote, unlikely in our lifetime. Most investors have been trained quite well over the last decade to expect a V-shaped recovery in the stock market no matter what it does. Our stock market during the last decade has trained investors to take comfort that we will always be higher a year from now. Personally, I do believe the stock market will be higher between now and, say, 2050, or long-term, really long-term, the year 2100. But I don't believe it will be a straight line up. It always goes through a major sell-off that can take 10 years or 20 years to recover. You should Google the long-term charts of the Dow Jones averages so you can see for yourself if you don't agree. I believe the financial environment within which we have all lived from 2009 forward has only reinforced the perception that the Fed has everything under control. Every market drop has been met with a strong V-shaped recovery. It has reinforced investors' belief that the market always comes back. But what if the next market dip does not lead to a quick comeback? What if the next market drop ushers in a period of financial devastation on par or even potentially greater than the Great Depression. There are not many who view this potential as realistic, especially since there is no one alive with any personal experience as to what that can mean. Just the opposite. Many of our financial advisors have not even experienced a bear market. 
that is the down part of the cycle, in their careers so far. In fact, many in the market are now quite certain that the Fed has conquered the business cycle and is in full control of our markets, quite similar to the period just prior to the Great Depression. Many people even claim that we no longer have free markets as the Fed simply manipulates our markets. Moreover, Janet Yellen placed the cherry on the top of this perfect cake with her assurance that we will not see another financial crisis such as the one we experienced 10 years or so ago in 08-09 in our lifetime, according to her. You see, the markets have now trained us quite well to assume that the only reason we keep going higher and higher is because of the Fed. And investors mistakenly believe that we will always be able to safely buy any big drops since it will certainly come back thereafter due to the Fed having our backs. Isn't that what most articles you read confidently claim? So, does anyone believe we will forever remain in an environment that provides us with short-term opportunities to make long-term investments in a generally rising market? Or has the market simply trained us to believe that this type of environment will continue in a linear fashion, unabated, for decades to come? I, for one, do not see the market as a linear environment. And again, utilizing the past, in some ways I see our present market reflecting our experience in 1967, 68, and 69. My comparison point, I'm starting with inflation. We are now approaching an inflation rate of 3%, the official inflation rate I'm talking about. Actual inflation rate, as I've talked in prior podcasts, is far higher than 3%. But the official rate in 1967 was 3%. 1968, it was 5%. 1969, it was 6%. So you may ask, what asset categories did well with inflation ramping up, as it is now and as it will continue to do, in my view? For example, in 1967, small capitalization stocks and technology increased. They were at the top of the list. And the bottom of the list was anything that had to do with volatility. More specifically, small cap stocks back in 67 went up 84%, the annual return. And technology stocks, as they were then, went up 73%. Growth stocks went up 56%. Volatility stocks that were highly volatile or volatility indices went down 37%. So this was a very comfortable, a very smooth day-to-day existence. 1968, banks took the number one place, up 48%. The technology stocks that were high in 1967 were not even on the top part of the list. The growth stocks, which were toward the top of the list, again, were not even on the top gainers in the list. The small capitalization stocks that were the darlings in 1967 still were doing pretty well in 1968, up 36%. And we move into 1969, volatility, which had been in last place, the volatile stocks, moved up to the highest performing stock group, 99% annual return, followed by copper, natural resource stock, up 24%. Pharmaceuticals up 2%, real estate up 7%, and banks, utilities, value stocks, small capitalization stocks down anywhere from 15 to 25%. So as inflation goes up, and I, I don't view this as a definitive statement, it would give you some pause to think about the stock groups in a higher inflation economy will be quite different, I expect, than what they were the past couple of years in a low and technical inflation economy. Finally, cryptocurrency comments. 
I was asked for my views. I do follow cryptocurrency. I'm not an expert. I'm not a, an advocate, particularly since the central banks, in my view, are not going to sit by idly and watch coins, Bitcoin or Ethereum or other coins, take power away from their currency controls. We're seeing that. Turkey and India have all but banned the cryptocurrencies. I think you're able to hold them, but not trade them. China has its own cryptocurrency and has banned the transactions in Bitcoin and other currencies. Recently, the U.S. government, Department of Treasury, the executive part of the leadership has focused on tax evasion through crypto. And the IRS is being led to actually increasing their crackdown on crypto. And for those of you who have filed your 2021 tax return, you'll notice questions on crypto. And you should also know that the IRS has agreements with some of the major platforms like Coinbase, and they've had agreements in place for the past couple of years. It's not that recent where they can get reports on crypto transactions. Technically, they're focusing on transactions that are more than $10,000. But in my view, the sell-off that we've seen the past week or so in cryptocurrency is a serious long-term warning. So I am not in that group that says Bitcoin's going to be $100,000 or a million dollars or $2 million next year or next decade. I'm absolutely not in that group. I fully expect that the central banks, the Federal Reserve importantly, and maybe the IMF, International Monetary Fund, will be developing their own cryptocurrencies to keep control on currencies, monetary transactions, taxation, and more and more controls are going to be placed on the private cryptocurrencies. So to me, that's a, a really dangerous investment. If I'm wrong, I'll admit I'm wrong. I think it makes no sense at all, in my view, to be allocating investment dollars to cryptocurrencies. I can see where they can help transactions. I can see large companies can pay vendors in cryptocurrency. Some of the transaction costs can be very small versus wire transfers. There is a role for cryptocurrencies in transactions. I think there is no role in portfolios for cryptocurrencies as investments. And that's my answer to the crypto question. And with that, I wish you all good financial health and be careful, be cautious. Think about kind of where we are and including where your retirement funds are invested. And I'll repeat one more time that as interest rates go up, long-term bond prices will go down. The value of long-term bonds in a portfolio in increasing inflation period will drop, possibly precipitously. So consider all the above and make decisions that are really hopefully good for you and your family. Thank you. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director, Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www. 
www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money. 